I want to talk to you for a moment about law enforcement. I get a little nervous whenever I see a police car. Maybe it's just a stereotype. You see a police car sitting alongside the road, it bothers you. Police seem to be like an automotive judge. You start thinking about, what am I doing wrong? Did I come to a complete stop? Am I buckled up? We are afraid that our actions will have consequences. Like a little piece of paper that looks like a ticket. This image is appropriate also when we talk about God. Many, many people view God as a spiritual cop. If we really, really are honest, we at times ourselves view God like he is in heaven with a nightstick. He has a flashlight moving into the darker parts of our lone lives. We think God is just waiting for us to mess up. And what he does is take out that little sin citation and leave it with us. The problem with this is when God, we view God as a judge, we tend to distance ourselves from God. We tend to look at our behavior and then evaluate when we are bad. And then we want to be distant from God. And that is totally a non-biblical image of God. So please take out the sermon notes that have been prepared for you today. And I'm convinced that even Santa Claus gives us a totally non-biblical view of God. See, in your notes, Santa is seen as checking his list. Santa is checking on who is naughty and who is nice. And when I'm naughty, then I'm afraid that Santa's going to find out. I may even decide to bribe Santa with some cookies and milk. But God is not judging everything you do. The Bible gives us a totally different picture than God being a spiritual cop or a judge checking off if you're naughty or nice. So in your notes, in the Bible, when people meet with Jesus, what would happen? Most of the time, the people are always pursuing Jesus. They would work their way through crowds in order just to touch him. Some buddies took a friend and lowered him through a roof just to be, he would be in the presence of Jesus. And there's also an event where a woman herself was literally forced into the presence of Jesus. In fact, many, maybe some of you are forced today to come. You're married to a spouse who forces you to come. You feel forced. Some of you are younger and you're living with your parents and they force you to come. Some of you are dating someone and your relationship begins to develop and she asks you, do you go to church? And you look at her and say, I do now. So if you feel forced, you're going to be able to really identify with this woman in this text. Look at John 8, verses 1 to 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives and early the next morning, 
He was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered. He sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? See, they were trying to trap him. Trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. But they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. See, we're told that the temple, a crowd had gathered. I want you to circle that word crowd in that verse. See, in your notes, this crowd, they wanted to hear Jesus. The Bible tells us that everywhere Jesus went, there was a crowd. Because people wanted to hear him teach people. They wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted to see Jesus. There was a crowd. And the religious leaders and the Pharisees, they walk in and they drop off this woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees at that time, they kept everything to the letter of the law. Because in your notes, the teachers looked good on the outside. There's a lot of tension then between Jesus and these leaders. But never with the common folks and even notorious sinners. The religious elite were so concerned with the external, while Jesus was more concerned with the internal. So these religious leaders dropped this woman off, had been caught in the act of adultery. See, the law was concerned about a man and a woman. The religious leaders brought only the woman. So it wasn't about justice. It wasn't about a man and a woman. The woman just was the pawn. She here is just an object. In fact, she is bait to catch a bigger fish. Because the Bible says they were trying to trap Jesus. Now the law of Moses says to stone a person caught in the act of adultery. So in your notes, stone, transferred literally, refers actually to a rock. This law of Moses referring to boulders. A couple of boulders would kill this person caught in adultery. So the trap is really the backbone of this whole encounter with Jesus. If Jesus says no, he loses. Because the law of Moses says to stone her. You just did not go against in your notes. 
You didn't go against Jewish law. And then people would say that if Jesus is going against the law of Moses, then he must not be from God. But if Jesus says yes, he also loses. Why? Because he's going against, in your notes, Roman law. The bottom line is that Roman law says Jews cannot execute anyone. Only Rome could give the death sentence. So either way, Jesus is going to lose. The religious leaders are pretty smug now. They're very prideful at this point. They have set a trap for Jesus. They were probably high-fying each other at this point, this tension point of this whole event. And the Bible says that Jesus simply stood, stooped down, in your notes. He wrote in the dust. We don't really know why. Maybe Jesus understood what evil was going on in the hearts of these people. The Bible tells us. doesn't tell us what Jesus wrote either. We just don't know what he wrote. Some people think that maybe, maybe Jesus wrote down some of the sins of the very people there. And he drew an arrow towards where they were standing. We don't know what Jesus wrote. But this is the surprise here. Because in your notes, Jesus did not judge the woman. It would have been pretty easy to become the judge or that religious cop. I don't think the religious leaders even counted on Jesus. Putting the value of people before the value of the law. Religious leaders did not understand that the central message of the scriptures and the law was to love one another, not to judge one another. So Cliff notes here would be, Jesus does not judge the woman. Jesus' response then is very brilliant. Because then you notice Jesus said, he who is without sin, you cast the first rock. Then Jesus stoops down and writes in the dust again, it says. See, Jesus could have brought shame and guilt on this woman. Jesus could have brought shame and guilt on those religious leaders. And if I were with Jesus instead of Jesus there, I probably would have said something like, hey, hey, you, Johnson in the back row, we're going to talk about your sin. You, yours are unbelievable. You have some wild things to share with us. Attack with shame and guilt. But rather, Jesus says, he who is without sin, you cast the first stone. So what a surprise. Jesus did not want to add to the shame this woman was already feeling. Maybe, just maybe, when Jesus stoops down and writes in the dust, he's actually thinking about what this woman was created by God to do and to be. Yes, to have a right relationship with God. When there are no accusers present, Jesus says to the woman, neither do I. Just go and sin no more. This is important to understand about the character of God. Because Jesus accepts this woman without approving of her sin. Jesus focuses not on the past. He does not on the act. He does not give her a lecture. He says, you're forgiven. Go and act like it. Let's apply this now for us. Two things that Jesus wants to do for you and also for me. Number one. In your notes, Jesus wants to replace guilt with his grace. 
Jesus wants to take your guilt and Jesus wants to replace it with his grace. And grace is unconditional love with complete forgiveness that God gives to us. We do not deserve it and we certainly cannot earn it. Grace is totally a gift. It is the undeserved favor. Look at Romans 6 where Paul says, Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. We have such a difficult time, however, understanding this as humans, because this is not how we treat one another. This is not how we live in our society. You screw up and you pay for it. In 40 states, on the back of your notes, in 40 states, we pay with a death penalty. When you deserve death, you will be put to death. Lethal injection, electric chair, but not in the state of grace in your notes. In the state of God's grace, your sin has been paid for already. By Jesus in your notes. The courtroom was on the, with the wooden cross. The debt was paid when Jesus suffered and died on that cross. It was as if Jesus was saying, you deserve to be here because of your sin. But I'm going to die in your place because I love you. I don't want you to die eternally. Now that is grace. Surprise, Jesus wants to daily replace your guilt with his grace. The number two, the second thing that Jesus wants to do for you and for me. In your notes, Jesus wants to replace shame with salvation. Shame says that I am worthless. I'm unwanted. I don't have any value. And some of you coming to church may even feel shame. You're thinking that you don't belong. Well, look at Ephesians 1 verse 5. God's unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This gave him great pleasure. So an easy way to explain adoption in your notes, adoption is just simply the picture of salvation. If you picture adoption, that's someone outside of a family, someone who has no home, Someone who has no support, no family, and now he is brought into the family, and he is loved, and he is saved. That describes the family of God. We are eternally saved. In holy baptism, adoption is always the act of God. Adoption is God acting by grace through faith in Jesus. Look at what Paul says in Romans 5. For since we were restored the friendship with God, we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by his life. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God. All because what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross in making us friends, friends of God. So I want you to circle that word friendship in that verse. We are restored to friendship with God. Salvation is a picture of God's grace giving us what we do not deserve, what we cannot ever earn. He replaces our shame, that feeling of being worthless, unwanted, without any value, with salvation. 
through adoption into his eternal family. So then what is your response? Suppose you were at that temple the day when Jesus encountered this woman. What would you do? This is so so what factor here in this sermon. In your notes, the challenge then is what? To pursue Jesus. Like those crowds of Jesus' day. I want each one of you also to pursue Jesus. And when you see what the Pharisees and the religious leaders did, and then you see what Jesus did, pursue Jesus. Let me give you a couple coaching tips, though, in your pursuit of Jesus. In your notes, number one, I want you to drop your rocks. When you relate to people around you, quit throwing rocks at them. Church people are often quick to condemn, slow to compassion. You can love the person without loving the sin in their life. So don't throw rocks. Only when we drop our rocks, only then can we point people effectively to Jesus with our fingers. Number two, the other tip to help someone pursue Jesus in your notes. Quit the quits. We often are caught up with, if you would just quit smoking, if you would just quit drinking, if you would quit watching that television program, and we're thinking that it's all about quitting, quitting this and quitting that is the spiritual cop image. So the challenge is, how does a person pursue Jesus? There are several ways. But look at 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, where Paul says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So the Christian journey here has two options. Number one, the first picture in your notes is a snorkel. You're in the water, but it's very shallow water. Snorkelers are a picture of beginners in their spiritual journey. You're in ankle-deep water. But number two, the second picture in your notes is scuba. There's deep water here. He learns the depths of the ocean. You see things that you just do not see in shallow levels. So to be a Christian, you want to pursue Jesus deeper and deeper and deeper. And you ask God to lead you to understand what eye has not seen, no ear heard, no mind imagined. Things that God has prepared for those who love him. So in summary... Look at the last two verses. They summarize everything today. Look at John 3, 16 and 17. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, no spiritual cop, but to save the world through him. Then look at Romans 8, verse 1. So now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I want you to circle the word believes in that first verse. Then I want you to circle the word belongs in the second verse. I want you to draw a line from believe 
to belong. Because the Bible says if you believe that Jesus hung on the cross as payment for your sins so that you would not die eternally, if you believe that he died in your place, then you belong to God's family. That you are adopted into God's eternal family. See, Jesus did not come to judge you. Jesus is not your spiritual cop. God is not checking his list to see if you're naughty or nice. Because Jesus came to die for you. Surprise. In your notes, Jesus longs to be your Savior. So like the crowds of Jesus' day, pursue. Pursue Jesus. Amen.